You know, these past couple of weeks have been pretty interesting for me. Um, every fall, what we do is we restart a lot of our ministries. Uh, throughout the year, uh, we go through the spring and then we go through the summer where we have a bunch of different things. And then starting usually August to September is when the new school year starts. And therefore, for a lot of us, we restart our ministries, our life groups, and all of these different things. One of the things that I do when that happens uh, is that I reach out to all of our ministry leaders, our life group leaders, and I ask them um, a couple questions. Uh, One of the main questions I ask them is how this year has been. Uh, How has life group been for you? Uh, How has God worked in this past year? How is God working uh, in your ministry or in this, uh, in your group, in through your members? And it's been such a blessing because Uh, As I've been able to talk to our leaders, I've seen so much fruit. I've seen so many great things. I've been been able to hear about so many blessings that God has done. Um, But the strange thing is that as I was having these conversations, I had this uncomfortable feeling in my heart. And I didn't know what it was. And one day as I was just thinking about it and praying about it, uh, I had this question just come up in my head. Now, I don't know if it was my own thoughts or I don't know if it was the Lord, but the question was just simply, Danny, uh, did you expect great things to happen in this church? Uh, it was a, a question to me just saying, Danny, uh, did you expect something great to have happened here? And at that moment, I really had to repent before the Lord. Uh, you know, when I first started ministry years ago, Uh, I had dreamed these big prayers. I had these huge dreams of God working supernaturally, that the church that I would be at, that Shining Star would be a church unlike any other, that the people here would work in supernatural ways, that God would do something so powerful and something so great, and I had these prayers that I prayed. But what happened over time is that as I was doing some more behind-the-scenes stuff, as I was Uh, doing ministry things, as I was going through my everyday life as a pastor, um, what happened was that I was so focused on these tasks in front of me that I had forgotten to keep praying about those things. I had forgotten to keep praying about how God could work supernaturally in the lives of us, in the lives of believers, in, in the life of the church. And so I had to repent before the Lord And I had to ask for his forgiveness this past week. Because what I was doing was I was putting the supernatural God, the God of the universe, into this box that I had designed. And I had thought maybe God couldn't do what what he had promised to do. Because I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 12, 7, where Paul says that God had given every believer the supernatural ability to bless the church and to bless each other that God has given every single person who calls him king, calls him Lord, this supernatural, it says, manifestation of the spirit to do something great beyond what they could even think or imagine. And so I was thinking in terms of my own type of spiritual ability, that God, I'm weak, so I don't know how much could really happen here. God, because I, I'm, I can't do very much because of my lack of faith. I, I just don't know how much greatness could happen here. And yet, what I had to remind myself this past week 
was that in my weakness, God is made perfect. That in my weakness, in my faithlessness, that God is able to show his strength. And, and it was God's way, I think, reminding me, of God's way of just showing me how good he is, that, that even in the lives of us who, who fail, who stumble, who do these things, Man, that, that God has always been and always will be faithful to us, that he is the creator of the universe, that he, has, he knows even the birds of the air, the, the hair upon our head. He knows every single moment of our lives, and of course, he is going to do something supernatural in us, not through our abilities, but simply because of his character. And so it was that type of reminder that I needed so much, the understanding that, yes, great things have happened in our church, and yes, I believe great things will continue in our church. That in the past 21 years, yes, it has been amazing, it has been great, but I believe that in the next 21, 22 years, that God is going to do something even greater for his kingdom, for his glory, for his power. Because of his promise here, that God has given every believer a supernatural ability for the common good, for this church to bless others. Our strength is not from our abilities, it's from our faith in a strong God. And I think that that's really the crux of it, that we've been trying to reiterate again and again in the book of Luke, that yes, we are weak, Yes, we are not able to do as much as we had hoped and, and wished for, that there are regrets in our lives, there are things that we have not accomplished, and yet we have the strong and firm belief that as long as we trust in the Lord, that he is going to do a mighty work, that he is going to do a work and he's going to finish it, that he is going to complete it, that our God has been and will be faithful in our lives. And as long as we hold on to that faith, as long as we hold on to that God, that, man, anything really is possible. Anything really can happen. Because we have the God of the universe who created these things, who is on our side. So if he's on our side, then, then the question is, who can really be against us? You know, because of our faith here, everything is able to kind of move forward. You know, at the root of our faith is the belief that Almighty God humbled himself, died on the cross for our sins, and rose again. And because of the root of our faith, our calling comes out of that. And our calling is to serve one another. Our calling is to humble one another. Our calling is to be a disciple, to imitate him. See, our calling comes from our faith. And that's where this passage really comes from. Because now we understand that that's our calling. We understand that we are called to imitate him, to be his disciples, to work in that way. And the question now becomes, how do we become his disciples? If we really want to be used in this supernatural way, what type of faith does God really desire? You know, in this passage here, um, we have three separate men who come up to Jesus and they desire to be used powerfully. They desire to be used in a great way. And so they go before Jesus and they say, I want to follow after you. I believe that you are God. And yet every time Jesus says something to them to kind of help them realize where their priorities really lie. And so for us today, I just want us to look at this passage here and just see what these three people, what these three men say and how Jesus responds to them. You see, in verse 57, 
It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. In Matthew's gospel, we see that this man was a scribe. In other words, he was this uh, Bible scholar. He was someone who knew the law. He knew them. He, he understood them. He had studied them, and he followed, to, he followed them to the best of his ability. Scribes back then were men known to have excellent reputations. They were men to have followed the law and men who could do everything to a T. This man believed that because he was following and doing these things excellently, that he could follow after Jesus as well. It's where he gained his confidence, you could say. But Jesus, he, he, he says in verse 58, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, what does this mean? I believe Jesus is saying two things to this scribe. The first one is that following him is not about changing your habits. It's not about changing your lifestyle. It's not about growing in your knowledge. It is about a complete change in your identity. It's not about how faithful you can be. It's not about how often you can go to church. It's not about how much you can give. It is simply the small and yet profound fact, do you place your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord? If you do, then you are a Christian. If you do, then your identity is no longer of this world. If you do, then you are a son and a daughter of his. If you do not, then it doesn't matter how much you work. It doesn't matter how hard you try these things. It doesn't matter how often you go to church. It doesn't matter how much you try to fool yourself. You are still somebody from this world. There are so many people who read the Bible who go to church and believe that they are Christians. But doing things that are Christian-like does not make you a Christian in the same way that going into a garage doesn't really make you a car, right? The root of our faith is that one simple thing, that our God humbled himself, died on the cross, and then rose again. If you believe that, that's what matters. There's no in-between moment there. It's a one-time belief saying, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord, and from that moment, you are a new creation. From that moment, your life is no longer the same. It's very black and white. Let me give you an example. Say one day I want to go to Canada. I personally have never been I want to see Niagara Falls. I haven't seen Niagara Falls. I know that seems strange. I mean, I was born and raised in, this, in the U.S., so I've never seen it, okay? So just, you know, I've never seen it. I've never gone, and yet one thing that I have always heard is that you need to go to the Canada side. Danny, you have to go to the Canada side. I mean, New York is just whatever. Canada is where it's at. And I just tell them, whatever, I don't care as much. But then I really do want to go to, to Canada, right? And to, just to see Niagara Falls. And so let's say I make up my mind and I want to go to Niagara Falls. And so from, let's say, tomorrow, I begin to drive up. I drive, I drive, I drive to the border. I drive hours and hours, and finally, I'm right at the border of Canada. But the fact of the matter is that even with all that effort, even with all that time, even with all that energy, I'm still outside Canada. 
I'm still in the U.S. Before I left, I was 100% outside Canada. And even with all of that work, I'm still 100% outside Canada. And you see, this is what Jesus is trying to say here as well. That it doesn't matter how much effort you put into all of these other religious things around you, the main crux of the matter is that you are still outside the gospel. That there's only one thing that you need to do is believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. And when you do, that's when you cross into the border. You're either 100% in or you're 100% out. And there's so many of us who believe that, yes, if I just work a little harder, if I just do these other things, if I'm able to work in these one or two or three steps, then I am a Christian. Then I, my identity is in him. Then I'm in this area. But Jesus says, no. No, for you scribe, for you biblical scholar, you can read, you can have knowledge, you can do all of these things, and yet you don't believe in the main thing you need to believe. You see, when we believe that Jesus Christ is king over our lives, that's when we become his sons. That's when we become his daughters. That's when our identity changes, when we cross into Canada, per se, and see the waterfall, right? One day, one day. You know, the second thing that Jesus is telling the scribe is a very simple and yet profound fact. If you want to follow after me, life will be difficult. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to put his head. And as Jesus' life was difficult, expect difficult things in your life. Expect pushback from others. Now, we've talked about this so many times, and so I'm only going to spend a couple minutes here. But I know, we know this for a fact too, our lives are not like how it was in the early church. That especially in the, in the U.S., we don't receive physical persecution. We don't, receive, we don't get martyred for our faith. But what is also completely true is that in our generation, we have seen Christianity become much less mainstream and therefore more ostracized and discriminated against. Even in my own experience within college and grad school and speaking to others who are here, the prevailing theme is that if you are educated, then it's foolish to believe in God. That the more educated that you become, the more understanding you have of this world and others around you, and therefore, the more foolish it is to believe in something that you cannot see. For so many of us, we will be questioned for our faith. For so many of us, we will be ridiculed. We will will be mentally persecuted in that way for our faith. And yet Jesus is telling us to stay strong through that. That if we want to follow after him, then believe in the only one, the only thing that will not shake. Cultures will shift. We've seen this. Times will change. People will come and go. But the word of the Lord will stand forever. And we trust in that. We believe in that. That even though people may say something else, that even though culture we have seen with our own eyes has shifted, we believe in the one person who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And we believe in Jesus Christ, that he will care for us, that he will honor us, that he is pleased with us, even if others are not. 
So it's our trust in that, and it's what Jesus is telling this scribe. Now, the scribe comes and goes. The second man now comes up to Jesus, and he says in verse 59, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus says in verse 60, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, what is Jesus saying here? Scholars point out that the phrase this man uses of, let me first go and bury my father, is actually an ancient Near Eastern figure of speech. And it means, let me go and take care of my business and my household until my father dies. And when that happens, and I'm able to kind of take care of all of these different things that I am in charge of, then I'm going to be able to follow you. Then I will be able to do what I desire to do in following after you, God. This man is asking to take care of his pressing and urgent needs first. And when those things are done, then he'll follow after Jesus. He's asking for time. And he's asking that Jesus simply be sensitive to the traditions and the cultures and the things that he is going through. Well, is Jesus sensitive to that? Well, let's see. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus says, let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. But as for you, you have more important work now in place. You know, I remember hearing this analogy about the gospel, that if you had the cure to cancer, wouldn't you do everything possible to give it to everybody you know? That if you knew the cure to cancer, would there even be a moment of hesitation in your life? That if you knew that what you had in your mind, in your heart, within your hands, could save the people that you love and save others around you, wouldn't you do everything possible to share it? Would anyone in this world first spend a few years doing some other things, taking care of their other priorities, then when they finish their checklist, when they finish their own responsibilities, then they'd give the cure to cancer. There, No, there's not a single person in this world that would do that. And Jesus is telling us here that the gospel cannot even be compared to any type of medicine in this world. That there is only one thing in this life that will give us a hope that will last forever. There's only one thing in this life that will give us everlasting life. That we're all on a time clock. That we're all going to the end. We don't know when we are going to pass. And yet Jesus says there's only one thing that you can control. And that is to spread my word to all nations. Are you doing that? Do you have that type of urgency? Are you going above and beyond or are you still taking care of your own priorities first because you don't believe in the urgency of the gospel? Yes, you have other responsibilities. Yes, you have other cares. Yes, I know tradition and culture is there. I know about these things. And yet Jesus is telling us the gospel is so much greater than that. The gospel is so much bigger than that. You have to put your priorities in the right place. It's not that he's not sensitive to these things. It's just that the gospel is so much bigger than those things. For us, 
Man, I know that we can also be bogged down within tradition, within culture, within all the different priorities in our life. And I don't believe for a second that God is trivializing those, that God is saying those are not important. But he's just telling us to check our own heart. That yes, those things are important, but what is your greatest priority? Those things are good, but what is the most important thing in your life? If you're trying to follow after Jesus, you have to place him first. It cannot be a joint effort here. You cannot have two people, two things in first place. God says again and again, I have to be the Lord over your life. I have to be the priority. Do you see the urgency of what I'm trying to do here? It's God first, everything else second. And that connects to the last man who goes before Jesus. Verse 61 says, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at home. And Jesus says in verse 62, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus' response at first seems disconnected, but only until you realize that a plow was a farm tool that was really quite primitive even back then. It was this log that had a wooden end and then a metal end, and it needed constant attention and care for it to actually plow in the right direction. And so farmers, they would usually ride or be next to some type of farm animal, and they would be constantly looking back to make sure that the plow was digging the land in the right way. And so when you read this in the Greek, Jesus is referring to these types of people, and he's saying to this person, you are this type of person who is constantly looking back at the plow. That for you, you are never looking ahead, you are never looking to the future, but you are constantly looking back to where you were before. Jesus is looking at this man, and he sees that even though his words say that I want to follow after you, he knows that his heart is still back there. That his heart still is back with the things of this world. That even though this man said that he simply wanted to say farewell to his family, Jesus realized, Jesus knew that this man's heart did not belong to him. It belonged to something else. It belonged to his past. It belonged to the things of this world. And so Jesus tells him, for you, stop looking back. You need to look forward. Stop working the plow and start going forward. Christianity is difficult. It's a complete change in our identity, and it means that our priorities need to be radically different. That's a tall order, but my brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you at the same time that Jesus says it is so absolutely worth it. When we look solely upon Jesus, I'm telling you that you are putting your investment in the right place, that you are putting your investment in something that is eternal, that will not fade away, that will not go away. When we put our faith in God, we are putting our faith in someone who does not change, who will not fail, and will be with us for the rest of our lives, and even beyond that. I can say with with 100% certainty, and I believe that you can talk to any Christian who has run this race for a long time, that they have no regrets in what they have done that in following after Jesus, that it is the most wonderful journey that they've ever been on. 
that as difficult as it may have been at times, the hope, the peace, the supernatural grace that God has given them is so much greater than that. You know, there's a story of a man named William Borden. Back in 1904, he was the heir to his family's estate. He was this very, very wealthy person. For his high school graduation gift, his parents actually gave him an all-expense-paid sightseeing trip around the world. During that trip, he wrote back to his parents saying that God had moved his heart and that he desired to become a missionary. At the same time, when he wrote that letter to his parents, he wrote in the back of his Bible a simple phrase, I have no reservations. Most people thought that when he would come back, that missionary heart would kind of begin to fade away. But when he got back, it just continued to grow. He went off to college in Yale. He started a Bible study. And by his senior year, the amount of students in his Bible study were 85% of the student population there. When he graduated, he began to receive all of these lucrative job offers. He ignored all of them and decided instead to go to Princeton Seminary to get ready for his mission. It was there that he wrote in his Bible another phrase, I will not retreat. After his studies, he desired to reach the Muslim people, and so he went to Egypt to first learn Arabic. It was there that he contracted spinal meningitis, and he ended up dying at the age of 25. Newspapers wrote about him because of his unique story. And people were torn about whether they were proud of him and what his convictions led him to, or if they felt like his life was a waste. After his passing, they received his Bible, and they saw that William had written one last phrase before his passing. That phrase was, I have no regrets. Church, was his death untimely? Was his death a waste? Not to God. Not to God. He placed his faith in the one place that will not go away, that will not rot, that has no moths, that will last forever. And because of that, his life was forever changed. For us, I believe that when we place our faith in the same way that William Borden placed his faith, that, man, God is going to use us in supernatural ways. You know, I've been thinking about our future as a church, where we've been, where we're going to go, and I believe truly that God is going to do great things. But I want us, I challenge us, I pray for us, that before we even go in that other direction, in in the direction where God desires desires us to go, that we would first focus upon our faith and, and just who God is in our lives. When we have that type of faith, when we have a faith that says, I have no reservations, that I will not retreat, that God, you have called me for something great, and that I am going to place all of my faith in you, that my priorities in you, that is when God is going to use us powerfully. And I believe God is going to use this church in powerful ways. I believe that. You know, I just want to end with this. I, I think that when we hear this, we can kind of get to this kind of question. Pastor Danny after hearing all of this, does this mean that I have to become a missionary, right? Does this mean, what does this really mean for me in terms of giving my all? Do I have to be like someone like William Borden? 
Does this mean that if I don't sell everything, that if I don't go on missions, that, that I'm, I should feel a, bit guilty, feel a bit guilty about that? No. No, you shouldn't. And the reason why is because Jesus has not called everyone to be a missionary in a different country. But he has called us to be faithful disciples where he has placed us right now. And I want to give you this, this illustration. Let's just say that you have $1,000 in your bank account. For a lot of us, when we read this, when we hear this sermon, when we think about what God is calling us to do, we think that giving our all to the Lord means that we take out all of our money and we immediately put $1,000 on the table. But I think the reality is that for most of us, He's asking, Jesus is asking us to cash in that $1,000 for quarters. And in our daily lives, we are meant to put 25 cents here, 25 cents there, 50 cents there, sometimes a dollar there, serving our coworkers, loving that church member, being kind to our parents, really sacrificing for our children. And I think that is what Jesus means when he asks us to deny ourselves and to pick up our cross daily. You see, he's asking us, where is your investment in? Are you truly putting your priorities in me? If you are, then every day, little by little, I'm going to give you opportunities to show that faith. Are you giving? Are you you believing that? Are you seeing that? Have you been giving bits of yourself, quarters, 25 cents, 50 cents, a dollar here and there. If you are, praise God. Keep going and keep doing that. It's not about being a missionary in a remote remote island. It's about being an example for Christ in your everyday life. So that's why today, for our church, Shining Star Community Church, I pray that God would use us supernaturally. And I believe that we can start today in the lives of each other, and how we care for one another, and how we love each other, and how we give. But the only way that happens is when we commit fully to the Lord. So let's just turn away from the things of this world, turn away from our sin, and completely and absolutely follow him. Amen? Yeah, let's pray.